I'll leave it to you to angle it appropriately. You can see we are without Daigon for this Sunday and many Sundays to come. So if there's anyone who would like to learn the technology responsibilities, share them, that would be welcome. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm Taishin. And our friends in the magical space box on Zoom who is joining us today. Laura. Sorry. Georgie. Hi. David and Lois. Good morning, everyone who is not able to be here with us today. Glad you could join us through the powers of technology. May we and all beings learn to look at ourselves with eyes of understanding and love. May we and all beings recognize and touch the seeds of joy and happiness in ourselves. May we and all beings learn to identify and see the sources of anger, craving, and delusion in ourselves. Well, good morning once again. This morning, I would like to talk about the fourth hindrance We've been having a series of talks over the last several weeks on the five hindrances, restlessness and worry, the package deal that they are. Not a very exciting title for a talk, maybe not a very exciting topic for a talk, but to get the full effect, you really need to see the picture that came along with the announcement of Wilbur in his cat castle. Wilbur is my cat. And he's leaning over the edge of it with his head dangling in the air, and he looks anything but restless, anything but worried. We can all aspire to be in such a state. Restlessness and worry are things that get in the way, but are also our way. We don't try to go around these things. We don't try and leap over them, crawl underneath them, but work with them. And so towards the end of my talk this morning, I'd like to say some things about a way we can work with our feelings of restlessness and worry, specifically by cultivating equanimity, the seventh limb or branch 
on the tree of awakening that I said some things about a couple weeks ago. I'd like to start this morning with a poem. This particular poem comes from a Greek lyric poet named Mimnermis, lived in the sixth century BCE. It doesn't have a title. We just refer to it as Mimnermis One, one of two extant poems from him, and here it is. What is life? What is love without golden Aphrodite? May I be dead when I no longer care for secret love, gentle gifts, and the bed, the things that are the very blossoms of youth, pleasant to both young men and women. But when comes old age that makes a man both ugly without and wicked within, his mind is forever worn down by troublesome thoughts, and no longer does he delight in seeing the rays of the sun. And his children hate him, and women find in him no honor. So painful did God make old age. And one more time. What is life, what is love without golden Aphrodite? May I be dead when I no longer care for secret love, gentle gifts, and the bed, the things that are the very blossoms of youth, pleasant to both young men and women. But when comes old age that makes a man both ugly without and wicked within, his mind is forever worn down by troublesome thoughts, and no longer does he delight in seeing the rays of the sun, and his children hate him and women find in him no honor. So painful did God make old age. Takes a pretty sharp turn about halfway through, doesn't it? I wanna start with this poem this morning because I think it raises an interesting question about this transition from the very blossoms of youth to what the poet describes as painful old age. Whatever else you may think about what Mimnermis has to say as you get older, your children becoming hateful towards you or your body starting to break down, you become frail and old. He does get something right. That as we get older, we start to lose this kind of carefree childlike spirit that is a mark of youth. As many of you know, I work at Trader Joe's. And in our store, we have a small little stuffed lion. His name is Leo. And if the little kids that come in find him, they get to go visit the treasure chest. And they get a lollipop. And that's like the most exciting thing for them in the entire world. They're running around the store without a care in the world. I found Leo. Can I go to the treasure chest? And it's interesting to watch them run rampant through the store next to their parents who are very concerned a lot of the time about the child's safety, about how much is in the shopping cart and whatever else is going on in their busy lives. They're weighed down by troublesome thoughts, just like we are so often. Something changes as we get older. 
the ever-present disposition in youth today of being open to surprise, as Zen Kate Blanche Hartman put it a few weeks ago in our book study, fades and in creeps anxiousness, a disquietude of mind that can certainly cloud one's days, weeks, months, and even years. And the question I wanna start with is why? Why does this happen? Why do we lose the very blossoms of youth? Here, is part of an answer according to this one. As we get older, as we age, we become able and in some cases are quite good at telling stories, constructing narratives. And we especially love telling stories about ourselves, about who we are, who we were, where we're going or not going into the future. For example, my name is Taishan. I lived all over the country, in the Northeast, in the South, in the Southwest, in the Midwest, 11 cities in 35 years from Connecticut to California, now in Pennsylvania. I like classical music, punk rock. I spend my time knitting, sewing, snuggling with Wilbur. I aspire to be a kind and compassionate person. When I was a teenager, surfing concrete waves in San Diego, California, occasionally running from security guards in shopping centers and police officers, I carried with me a packet of stickers of the letter G in various sizes. Whenever I would see one of these signs on a building that read, no skateboarding, pursuant to California code, blah, 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 I stopped reading at that point. I would find an appropriately sized sticker of the letter G and I would stick it over the letter N. Now the sign reads, go skateboarding, pursuant to California civil code, blah, 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 blah. I was a mischievous adolescent, a vandal. It's part of my story. And as we age, the more stories we tell, and the same stories again and again, there emerges a kind of rigidity. We start to believe that these stories are always and forever perfect representations of who we are. And we start to get stuck in them. And it happens slowly, like walking into a pit of quicksand, being trapped in a quagmire. And there's a kind of comfort to it. These stories we tell about ourselves that we get trapped in, it's kind of warm and cozy. I know who I am. I'm this and not that. And all of this is no doubt helped along by the fact that in the stories we tell, we tend to focus a lot on the nouns they contain, not the verbs. We think what are in fact processes, 
creating an illusion of enduring stability. So for example, in my youth, I engaged in momentary acts of righteous and correct vandalism against the state of California becomes, I am a vandal. The former represents the unfolding of a process brought about by a network of causes and conditions. The latter just puts me in a box with a label, stagnant. And as we do this over and over, a self emerges, a narrative self that we come to strongly identify with. And we feel the need to protect from anything that threatens, anything that might challenge it. And a feeling of separateness too starts to emerge. I am this and not that. I hold these values, not those values. And those people over there, well, they're scary. They're different from me. I don't want to associate with them. They might affect me in some way that I don't like. I agree with them because their story is part of my story, but not those people because their story is not part of my story. And as this self emerges, attachment and aversion, the first two of the five hindrances start running about everywhere. And where they are present, fear starts to emerge, fear towards anything that's not me, fear towards the other, and anger starts to grow within us as a protective defensive stance. And before we know it, all of the hindrances are present in our lives, all of the poisons are present in our lives, and we're ensnared in the eight worldly dharmas, pleasure and pain, fame and obscurity, loss and gain. The only thing missing from this picture seems to be lions and tigers and bears, for some of us anyways. And all of this, again, in part because of the stories we tell again and again, and we become attached to them and we cling to them. And all of this because we tend to think, put in boxes, what are ever arising and perishing processes of generation and destruction. In this whirlwind of things that arise, because of our stories and our attachment to them, there is restlessness and worry. For some of us, there's a lot of these. I fall into that category. A lot of restlessness and worry in my life. For others of us, not so much. But this language, this metaphor of being whipped up into a frenzy, I think is appropriate because in the sutras, discussions of restlessness within the Pali is Udhaka, can also be translated as agitation, often contain this image of a banner or a flag being whipped about by the wind this way and that way. You can picture it for yourself on a particularly windy day. Just look at any flag outside. It's going this way, that way, 
this way and that way. And sometimes we feel that way. Pulled in this direction and that moment after moment. Sometimes it can feel like we're moving in all sorts of directions at the very same time and by something other than our own agency. Just as the wind whips the banner, the flag, this way and that, so too can it feel that something other than myself is the energy, the fuel that causes the mind to fly in all sorts of directions. Like I'm not in control. And this feeling is a sign of our awareness of some of the causes of a restless mind. One cause is attachment, some object of our desire. If you're preparing to go on vacation, for example, you might find yourself unable to sleep the night before. All whipped up, looking forward to all the fun things you're going to do. Do I pack my bag right? Do I have my passport? Oh my goodness, I can't sleep. Can tomorrow come? Just go ready. Might also be an object of aversion. I really don't want to have to go to work, move in weekend. When all the students come back, it's going to be a madhouse plotting for ways to barricade myself behind the register. Might also be a product of ignorance. I just don't know what to think about this. I'm darting this way and that, trying to map out all possible scenarios. It's a kind of uncomfortability that can arise from not knowing. Restlessness, so far as I can tell, is always future-oriented. It's not here yet, but it's coming. And we either want it or we don't want it or we don't know what to think about it. Worry, on the other hand, kukucha in the Pali can also be translated as regret, remorse, sorrow over what has been done. Just as restlessness is future-oriented, worry or regret is past-oriented. It arises over something we've done and we wish we didn't, or something we didn't do and we wish we did. It was an opportunity for me to help out somebody, but I was too afraid to go ahead and do so, and so I didn't, now I regret that. I wish I would have had the courage to reach out and help someone in need. Or in a fit of anger, I said something really insensitive to somebody and I wish I could take it back, but I can't. This feeling of worry is different from the kind of worrying we do about how to solve problems. That's better called deliberation or consideration. It's not kukucha as the sutras define it. But it all comes back to and involves the narratives that we tell of ourselves. We want this thing in the future to become part of our story. We don't want it to become part of our story. 
we don't like that we said that thing in the past because it challenges our conception of who we are. Or we wish we would have done that past thing because it would reaffirm our conception of who we are and we've let ourselves down. So how do we work with these feelings, these hindrances of restlessness and worry, mental excitement and agitation, sorrow and remorse? One way is to set an intention to cultivate equanimity, a kind of non-grasping or letting go. Here's how the sixth ancestor, Huineng, describes the cultivation of this limb of awakening in the Platform Sutra. Good friends, since the past, this teaching of ours has first taken no thought as its principle, no form as its essence, and non-abiding as its foundation. No thought means to be without thought in the midst of thinking. No form is to transcend form within the context of form and appearances. Non-abiding is your fundamental nature. All worldly things are empty. And one more time. Good friends, since the past, this teaching of ours, this teaching of equanimity has first taken no thought as its principle, no form as its essence, and non-abiding as its foundation. No thought means to be without thought in the midst of thinking. No form is to transcend form within the context of form and appearances. And non-abiding is your fundamental nature. All worldly things are empty. Perfectly clear, right? No, not at all. And there's not time today for me to talk about all parts of this particular passage, but I do want to say some things about no thought. No thought does not mean no thinking. No thought does not mean no thinking. It means to be without thought in the midst of thinking. Those of us who have been around a little while have probably heard Mado speak passionately against this idea that meditation is about stopping all thinking. That that's not what we're doing here. And that's not possible. And in Taishan's humble and correct opinion, Mado is exactly right. That's not what we're doing here. Because as a dear friend of mine sometimes says, the mind never stops being an open field of creativity. Or as I like to think of it, you can't freeze the ocean and make it stand still. either on the surface or beneath the surface. Sometimes the waves are big. Sometimes the waves are small. Sometimes there are many waves. Sometimes there are few waves. 
That's the natural activity of this mind. Always moving, freely flowing, arising and passing away, a continual and constant unfolding of dynamic activity moment after moment. And there's no problem with this. No problem whatsoever. But difficulties arise when we try to hold on to certain ways and avoid others instead of watching them, observing them, shining the light of awareness on them with an openness, a gentleness, and a curiosity. What is this wave, this feeling, this bit of thinking, this story, this narrative that appears right now? What is it? We need to notice our tendency to thing and grasp processes or try to push them away and instead try to examine them, to study them. At the risk of pushing this ocean and waves metaphor too far, I suggest that we develop a willingness to surf the waves of our mind. The Southern Californian in me is very excited that I worked surfing into it on the dock. And I don't apologize. Also part of my story. Because our thoughts and our feelings reveal something about ourselves. Recognizing them as they arise and not grasping them or rejecting them is itself a way of embracing them. There's a pair of lines in the song of the Jewel Mirror Awareness that says, turning away and touching are both wrong for it's like a massive fire. Don't hold on to your thoughts. All sorts of problems arise. Don't acknowledge them either. No, you got to acknowledge them too. Because they say something about you. If we can learn to allow ourselves to surf the waves of our mind, to be with them, we can start to work with them. To work through them. And eventually let go of them. When we let the wave run its course, we can then turn around, paddle back out to catch the next one. And we do this over and over again and again. So this is my suggestion to you this morning as a way of working with the restlessness and the worry that we sometimes experience born from our clinging to the stories we tell about ourselves, this narrative self that we've constructed, learn to surf. Kick off your flip-flops, grab a wetsuit and a board and catch some waves. And soon you too can be just like Wilbur in his tiger tower. Thank you very much.
All right. Ah, uh, yes, recording. Did you pass that my way? Pardon? Will you pass the device my way, and I'll stop the recording?